Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Welcome to another episode of Hot Routes after a wild, wacky, some may even say zany week in the National Football League, which was capped off by a stunning Monday night football result in which the Chicago Bears destroyed Bailey Zappi, some of Mac Jones, and all of the New England Patriots defense. Matthew Collar here, along with Jonathan Harrison, as always. And uh, Jonathan, normally we kind of bat some things back and forth, but I actually want to start right there with our first Hot Routes question. Uh, What exactly is happening with Mac Jones and the New England Patriots? That's really the question. Usually I try to put some spin on it or something like that. And I was going to initially, if Bailey Zappi had been great, we were going to talk about like, who does he compare to? But he was not great because he's Bailey Zappi. Mac Jones (laughs) gets pulled from that game. Bill Belichick claims that that was the plan all along, which might be true because Adam Schefter reported it before the game that there was a chance that both quarterbacks were going to see the field. And then Belichick said he didn't put Mac back in because of the score. But this tomfoolery that's going on clearly took the entire roster uh, by surprise of the Patriots. What is your uh, running theory about what is going on with Mac Jones? Well, the uh, is he the starting quarterback? Is he not the starting quarterback? That feels like a team that doesn't want to rush a guy back from injury. But also the fact that it's not as good of a season for him. Obviously, injuries play a part of that. How much of that comes down to whatever the hell the Patriots are doing at offensive coordinator? You had Josh McDaniels, one of the most talented and gifted offensive coordinators in the league over the past couple of years. I mean, he got the best out of Mac Jones in his rookie season. He looked like the best rookie quarterback there uh, in that class last year. And this year he's just kind of fallen off the face of the earth because he's got, he's got Joe judge and Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinators. And we saw how those two kind of tanked organizations in New York and Detroit. So I think a lot of it comes down to the dual offensive coordinator role. Also the fact that 
we all knew kind of Mac Jones had this ceiling and did he reach that with Josh McDaniels last year? And did Bill Belichick see that he could get something out of Bailey Zappi? And it just doesn't seem like that's the case. But I think a lot of it for me comes down to Bill Belichick getting his ego in the way, saying, I can do this without an offensive coordinator, without Tom Brady, and let's put these two clowns as offensive coordinator and see what happens. And the offense has struggled because of it. I think that's very true. And Bailey Zappi also had a pretty good showing against Detroit, which is a horrendous football team. Once again, (laughs) always and forever Detroit. And that may have spun some people's ideas of what Bailey Zappi actually was that every once in a while, we see a backup quarterback come off the bench and do pretty well. And of course, that's where the old saying comes from, which we haven't had to go back to that very often. But the old saying about the most popular guy is the backup quarterback. Well, in recent modern NFL, that doesn't really exist. But this year is a weird season. And as poor as Mac Jones played early on, and then to have Bailey Zappi come in, you could see where the fans would be like, hey, it's working for this guy with really no context involved that they were playing some bad teams, running a lot of play action, had a lot of success running and playing defense that would allow Bailey Zappi to look good. And then he was exposed last night when he actually had to step back and throw the football. And the funny thing was Mac Jones looked pretty spry to start the game and then threw this inexplicable interception, which screamed to me. And now there's a cool thing. You can see the dots. And so people will tweet out the little dots that show you what happened on the play that Mac Jones on the interception had a very easy check down right in front of him, which I guarantee a year ago, he makes that play because he was comfortable with what he's doing. And instead he was pressing, trying to make a big play on the move almost to show like, Oh yeah, like Max here time to make some big plays. That's not really who Mac Jones actually is as a quarterback. I, I think he's more of the game manager who needs a good supporting cast, a really good scheme to help him good defense, which are all things that you should be able to achieve on a rookie quarterback contract. And it's not like the guy can't play. He showed last year that he can play. I would not expect mega star performances from him like Patrick Mahomes, but he can play in the NFL. What's very confusing to me is what in the world Bill Belichick was doing with a lot of stuff. I mean, your focus is on the offensive coordinator situation. 100% agree on that, but also how about the roster? I mean, you look at the receiving group that they've tried to fill out Devonte Parker, like on Madden a couple of years ago was really good, but the guy never really plays a full season. He's been banged up. Jacoby Myers is a decent player, probably a number two at best on another team with an elite wide receiver. And that's kind of all they have. So they're lacking weapons. They have a decent running game, but it's not unbelievable. And they spent a bunch of money a couple of years ago on two tight ends that they decided to go all in on. A very, very strange handling of the situation in general. And I also think that Belichick still believes that his defense will just stop everyone and uh, they'd stop nothing as far as last night against the Chicago Bears. And I, I do think there's a tendency when a game is on national TV and we all watch it to way overreact to that one game. So it is just one game. But I think their handling of Mac Jones is as bad as anybody has handled a young quarterback going into his second year where it seemed kind of laid out for you. If you just give him the right circumstances, just 
just hire a regular offensive coordinator. My gosh. And it, it seemed to manipulate Mac Jones from day one about the way this was handled. And then your backup goes in, plays pretty well. All of a sudden you're talking about people wanting the backup to play. It seems like a downright toxic situation at the moment, but that is based on one game. Things could change. I think that beyond any of that, one of the weirdest things here is Belichick not telling anybody what he was going to do with the quarterbacks. Like, okay, I get competitive advantage, but you're messing with your own players. Like the offensive line and everybody, like they practice all week with this quarterback and then he's only going to play for one series or two series or three series like what and 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 Bailey Zappi said after the game that he found out when everybody else did that he was going in so you didn't even tell him what was going on like Belichick's mind games they used to work when Tom Brady would just take care of business yeah they do not work with younger players with Mac Jones with a roster that's mediocre and it feels like the Patriots are sort of done being competitive for a while. And how much longer does Belichick even want to go? Because if you're Robert Kraft, you have to be looking at this and going, all right, Bill, I think time has passed you by a little bit. Some of this tomfoolery that you're doing here with your players and with the coaching staff and everything else, it's not working anymore. And they have a promising young quarterback, Mac Jones, by the way, everybody, Mac Jones career, not over after last night. Okay. So (laughs) it's, I mean, it seemed like everyone was ready to declare that, but um, I, I think that they really have to look closely at like, does, does Belichick still have it? Or was that kind of uh, ended last year? Was that maybe the last year where it seemed like he knew what he was doing? I think this is also the final nail in the coffin in that the Patriot way only works with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady there together. Outside of that, you take any other part of that and try and put it in a different organization. It just doesn't work. It hasn't worked. We've seen coaches go from the Patriots and go on to do their own thing for 20 years now, and it's never worked. It's very rarely worked. And Tom Brady left. He got a Super Bowl thanks to Bruce Arians and the amazing supporting cast he had there. But Tom Brady also did have to play really well there in Tampa Bay to do that. But I think this just feels like the final nail in the coffin that, yeah, Bill Belichick's a great coach, but the coaches around him, underneath him, do not hire them because they're not going to be able to bring that to your organization. We've seen that time and time again. We're seeing it again this year in Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels. But yeah, the the quarterback situation is so weird because you have this guy who you drafted super high in the first round and you put it, you put a bunch of stock into him. You went out and because you're on the rookie quarterback contract, you invested a lot, which the Patriots normally don't do. You invested a lot in the wide receivers, as you said, the tight ends, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, and they just haven't gotten enough out of those wide receivers. It seems like the receivers they brought in, it was money in bad places for those guys, Mm -hmm. guys that definitely didn't deserve the contracts that they got from the Patriots. seemed like a a set of moves that was, it it feels desperate now you looking, looking back at it. Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, like these are not game changers. And I think that we've sort of seen that over the last few years, even with someone like Christian Kirk, who I think is a good receiver in Jacksonville, but they're paying him like an elite receiver and he's not really a game changer. He's good, but he's not a game changer. And so I think if you're going to have a bunch of good, you've got to have a lot of it. You've got to have three guys who are real good uh, and have all of them in their contracts work out. 
And otherwise, you should be taking swings in the draft at players who could be potentially really good. Because I think what we see in the NFL now, especially this year with how weird it's been with quarterbacks, is there are a lot of B-minus football players at quarterback. And with the circumstance, they can be pushed into an A or they can be sunk into a C. And that's actually Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers now, too that their supporting casts are sinking them down to C or C minus quarterbacks. Whereas there are other guys and, and Geno Smith is probably part of this with good receivers, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. We'll see about uh, Metcalf's injury, but you know, Tyler Lockett has long been a really underrated and terrific receiver and, and their running game in Seattle is phenomenal. Now with Kenneth Walker, it's like, Oh yeah, that's a really good situation. And Geno Smith, who's probably been closer to a B minus quarterback. He's good now. Mac Jones, you have a very bad situation with, like you said, mismanagement, the salary cap, overpaying mediocre players, putting bad guys at uh, the offensive coordinator position who were never offensive coordinators before, which is just madness. And we called this from day one. I think even when we were talking about like what team will lose more, way more games than they did last year, it's like Patriots. They didn't get better and they made the worst decision with their coaching staff. They could circumstance scheme, all these things, the Jimmy Garoppolo type effect of someone who's a B minus quarterback that can be an A at any given time. And, and all these guys are fluctuating from year to year and, and even week to week based on situation, opponent, matchup, whatever else. Whereas the consistent guys are at the top. Of course, your Joe Burrow, who's phenomenal, uh, you know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, like those guys are staying at the top. Well, everybody else is kind of floating around depending on what's around him. So Mac Jones's future going forward. I mean, this could be a situation where this guy just wants out at like now. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that he's going to get traded or anything like that. The Patriots won't do that, but they're going to have to resolve the issues that they have created themselves surrounding Mac Jones, who I think still has plenty of potential to be a good quarterback under the right circumstances. Uh, next question for you, Jonathan, this season, I mean, we had just, we're talking about a little bit here. It is the most 90 stuff I have ever seen in my life. Quarterback play all over the map. Lots of game managers, running matters, defense matters. The games are low scoring, all sorts of things. I mean, it just, you just expect the grunge era to come back. <laughs> like, right. I mean, there's so many uh, you know, things here that sort of are reflective of old school football where a couple quarterbacks are so far above everybody else and uh, defense is kind of been king for especially, I mean, even a team like the Cowboys, they're what, five and two, and they have the 22nd offense and the second defense, and yet they've been winning a lot with defense, which usually does not happen in today's game that much. So if you could transport one thing from the nineties into today's game. It does. It can be a player. It can be anything you want it to be. You get to go back in time since we're seeing a very 90 season, grab something and bring it back and plop it into the 2022 NFL. What would it be from the nineties? I couldn't keep it to one because there's just so many things from the nineties that I would want to grab and 
bring to the football of today. One of them being a Vikings fan growing up in Minnesota, as I did the 98 Vikings. I want to see that offense play in today's NFL. I know uh, the offense is kind of taking a downswing this year, but give me that passing offense with those three receivers, that quarterback, that offensive line play and put them in today's NFL. And let me see how it goes. Uh, another one is rookie Randy Moss. Just get him out of that team and plop him in to today's NFL. I don't care what team it is. Just give him a good quarterback and let me see what rookie Randy Moss can do with, I don't know, who cares at this point, uh, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or Josh Allen. Give him, give him to one of those three quarterbacks and have fun. Uh, I know this one will speak close to your heart. Put Mike Allstott into the NFL today. Give me the fullback who almost rushed for 1,000 yards in the 99 season. The guy who couldn't be tackled in Madden. The guy who was just a brick in a bowling ball. And he's going to destroy your defenses by just handing it off to the fullback. Give me that fullback. I know that that position's kind of out out of kind of out of favor at this point, but give him to give him to the 49ers. I know they already have a good fullback there, but put Mike Allstott with Matt, with uh, Kyle Shanahan and see what happens there. I want to see that happen. I, I love that. And fullbacks were definitely on my list as per the brand, but also, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really though, there were superstar fullbacks back yeah. in the day, not just Mike Allstott who could run the football, but somebody like Sam Gash or Lorenzo Neal, and I know this is early 2000s, but uh, Lorenzo Neal was around for a long time. Go back and watch the Danian Tomlinson highlights. And uh, mm -hmm. every one of them, this guy is running out front. Like what they used to be able to do was still put together, if you had a good quarterback and the right situation and play actions and, and things, still pass the ball with fullbacks in the game. Like sometimes we act like you know, the fullback is just for running out of the eye form and handing off and going up the middle. I mean, Steve Young used to have that split back where he'd have, uh, you know, William Floyd and Garrison Hurst on his two sides in, in the backfield. And he always had a check down to either side of the field, depending on how the defense played. I mean, the fullback is a great asset. I think one of the things is that no one wants to be a fullback anymore. <laughs> so it's hard to develop them to the point where they could be a Sam Gash or a Lorenzo Neal or a Larry Centers, who was great, caught like 90 passes out of the backfield. Uh, would love to see more of that. John Madden, Pat Summerall would be great. Yes. I think we have good NFL broadcasting. Buck and Aikman are fine. They don't offend me. I know some fans don't like Buck and I get it because it's kind of, it's uh, not all that enthusiastic sometimes, but it's fine. It kind of feels like a big game. Nansen Romo again, like these things don't really change my life, but I don't get upset about them. But every game that Summerall and Madden did felt super epic. And especially the wild games, the crazy games that we've seen this year, all sorts of close uh, football games that the, the margin of victory has been closer than ever. And who loves running in defense more than John Madden, right? I mean, so I think he would have loved this year for the number of defenses that have been really good for the number of running games that have kind of been central to whether teams win. And he could talk about all the things that are beyond the quarterback. Like he loved to do the <laughs> offensive linemen and highlight them. That's a big part of it too. I mean, I think that just in general, what we're seeing that's very nineties ish that really reminded me of it is the quarterback who develops and then becomes something. Mm -hmm. And Geno Smith is at the center of that. But I mean, think about like the Kurt Warner who shows up at the end of the 90s, the Mark Brunel who was a backup quarterback, I think in Green Bay, and then becomes the face of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
it used to be a fairly routine thing that you would see a quarterback come out of kind of nowhere or be a backup for several years. And then, whoa, this guy's the starter for this team and he's looking pretty good. And in recent years in the NFL, we just hadn't seen a lot of that. It was the great pro bowlers, the Phillip Rivers, the Matt Ryan, Eli Manning, these franchise quarterbacks, along with the elite guys. And then everybody else was a rookie quarterback. But now we're kind of seeing some teams have to plug those holes and some guys emerge, which I think is is very interesting. So that's something that is coming up through kind of being 90s-ish, but uh, you love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I You want to see that the patience, which we don't get to see a whole lot of. It's always just, okay, we, we drafted this guy first round. He's got to go in. And now you're starting to see that, oh, they're, they're, these guys can develop if you give them time, if you trust that they will learn how to play in the NFL. It may not look good at first, but if you give them time, if you give them the right teaching and the right mentors to help guide them along, like you saw Patrick Mahomes get some good mentorship from Alex Smith, and it helped, it, that had to have helped him. And I think he credited Alex Smith when he won the Super Bowl with helping him develop into a professional quarterback. And yeah, you like to see guys just have the patience shown to them to let them develop and let them go through rough patches and you know, burst onto the scene and become stars. You know, I should add really all of the nineties broadcasts. I mean, yes. Frank and Al and Dan Monday night football. It doesn't get much better than that. And then Dick Enberg and what Don Trumpy was it? I mean, uh, but Dick Enberg, one of the great play by play ever. So the NFL on NBC was epic in the nineties. Uh, I don't know that Thursday night football is quite doing it for me. Maybe no. just not having Thursday night football would, be, would nice. be another part of this. Although TNT back in the day did have like a couple of broadcasts a year where it was Vern Lundquist doing those <laughs> games. So th there were some random Thursday night games that would get slipped in there from time to time, but I don't think we've ever needed it every week. And yet we will continue to have it every week, Unfortunately. probably for the rest of our existence. Um, all right. So Joe Burrow went nuts against the Atlanta Falcons, 481 yards passing. He is now second in the NFL in passing yards, third in touchdown passes. By the end of the year, where will Joe Burrow rank among all quarterbacks? And then part two to this question is that Geno Smith has also been terrific. He's getting a lot of shout-outs on this show today. Um, third best quarterback by PFF. Where will he rank? So you have the emerging superstar who went to the Super Bowl and hit a rough patch. And then the player who comes out of nowhere after being a backup in the most Rich Gannon-y thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, where will both of these guys finish in the NFL overall at quarterback? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, right now, Burrow is, what, second in passing yards in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. I think that's where he's going to finish because I don't think Justin Herbert's going to keep up, keep pace behind him. Matt Ryan's already been benched, so he's not going to keep pace with him. I think Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes finish 1-2 uh, in the NFL in passing this year because you look at the rest of Burrow's schedule with Cincinnati, and they've got some 
they've got some tough defenses along the way. The Bills, they've still got to play them. Uh, they got the Chief, they got the Titans and the Chiefs, and the Chiefs have made been making everybody look bad. Um, I think there's a couple of tough pass defenses that they still have to come up against, but it just feels like over the past couple weeks, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that offensive line bringing in as many new bodies as they had, it would take time to gel, and it's starting to gel. He's starting to get more comfortable in that offense. You see his connection with Jamar Chase is just unstoppable. Some of some of the catches he had this weekend were just unreal. Uh, to witness just the sideline and the the narrow windows that he had to catch the ball. Him and uh, Joe Burrow are back connected again, and that feels like a very unstoppable duo to try and you know contain. And not a lot of defenses are going to be able to do that. I think Burrow's going to finish second in passing behind Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes is just going to keep his torrid pace up for the rest of the season. That offense is ridiculous. Uh, they just basically recycle and renew, and it just feels like it's the same. It's it's the same dangerous passing attack that the Chiefs had, despite them having to change some bodies there. As for Geno Smith, it fe- it felt like after week one or two that that kind of thing, the performances you saw would start to drop off. But they haven't. Six weeks in, they st- they still haven't. Or seven weeks in, they still haven't. So it feels like that's a system that's kind of perfectly built for him to just kind of continue to game manage and continue to be this guy who's going to lead this team. He's not doing anything incredibly out or spectacular like Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen do all the time, but he's just he's just consistent, it feels like. And that feels like something that can continue. I don't know that he's gonna be he's gonna drop off anywhere towards the towards the lower half of the league in quarterbacks. I think he'll be kind of 10, 12, maybe around that area where where we always talk about Kirk Cousins being. I think that feels like somewhere where he's gonna be this season. Yeah, I think with Geno, there probably will be some regression at some point. But the other thing is, with the NFC being as weak as it is, yeah. doesn't have to happen. I mean, he could continue. And one of the things with Geno Smith, he always had the arm talent to be a quality starter. But he didn't get a second chance, as so many high draft picks do. And I think maybe part of that was immaturity in New York, that there yeah. was the incident with IK and Apollo where he got punched and he goes three and 10 in a season. And it just seemed to be falling apart. Maybe he wasn't ready for that at that time in his life. And that's why we talk about the need for development and giving people time. And it's funny that EJ Manuel, who was the top draft pick quarterback in that very class, he made that argument a lot in post career. Like he's become a good broadcaster in college football, but he talked about how pretty much he got thrown in, wasn't quite ready and then never saw the field pretty much ever again. And that's not to say EJ would have been as good as Geno right now, but I think that quarterbacks who have kind of been making that argument, I mean, maybe there's something to it, and maybe too many guys were sort of cast aside too early or not taken enough time developing like the old NFL used to do, but in the league today, there's really no time for it. It's sort of, uh-oh, we're without a quarterback, this guy's got to play, and oh, he's actually good. But I don't know that Geno Smith will continue to play at this level. Probably ends up being a mid-pack quarterback, which is a huge win for Seattle and a huge win for Geno. And uh, he has played spectacularly well so far. I think with Joe Burrow, that after a tough couple of games to start the season, that there was maybe a natural like, oh, okay, maybe he wasn't quite as magical as it was for last season. And then he just reminded everyone, oh, no, oh, no, it actually was. Burrow is super special with his accuracy, his ball placement, his leadership, his creativity. I mean, he is among the elite of the elite. And I think at the end of the year, 
And I guess I was thinking of it more through the perspective of just where we will all think of him. Yeah. It's very possible that we will look at Joe Burrow as being in the same conversation as Mahomes and Allen, who are far above the rest of the league, maybe equal with Lamar Jackson, who's maybe the next man down of the elite of the elite and only by a shade from behind uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, who are kind of tied at the top at the moment. I think Burrow and Lamar Jackson will be considered right, right there, kind of up against their heels. And it's even possible Burrow is considered slightly better than Lamar Jackson. I, I think he's that good and his supporting cast is that good. And now that, as you mentioned, they've gelled together a bit as an offense, uh, they're about to take off. I think they're the only team in the entire AFC that can play with Buffalo and that can play with Kansas City. That might be a hot take based on their records, but I think that Cincinnati will keep getting stronger Burrow will keep getting better as the season goes along. It's a high bar for, for me to set, but also I think the sample size from last year and then what we've seen so far in these last couple of weeks of him getting it together, I think I think Burrow is going to be right there in that conversation for the elite of the elite quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I felt like that if he, if he continued on that run, that he would get there, and that first week kind of made a lot of people nervous, uh, throwing four interceptions against the Pittsburgh defense that has now looked – average without TJ Watt and you've seen kind of how that defense has kind of fallen off fallen back to the face of the earth um but yeah Joe Burrow if he continues on this run he he definitely deserves to be up there in that conversation with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and even uh Lamar Jackson like you said those guys are just a tier above everyone else at this point and good luck deciding the AFC playoffs for the next 10 years with those four quarterbacks going at it that is something you love to see that just four quarterbacks who are the elite of the elite all in the same conference. The AFC playoffs are going to be must watch for the next 10 years. And I am excited to watch that. Unless Lamar of course leaves Baltimore and signs with, no, he probably won't. I, I can't wow. see it. I can't if he wants see a, it. If he wants an easier to conference to win, go to the NFC, pick an NFC team because that conference, the NFC conference is just bad at this point. And doesn't put look Lamar like it's going to get any better. Put him on any team in the NFC South. And they're winning yeah. 10, 12 games and running away with that division. It is a complete disaster. Uh, next question for you, Jonathan. Which of these teams that have had things go majorly wrong, and I didn't include the Patriots in this, but uh, maybe could have, which team should have seen it coming? Tampa Bay with Brady not wanting to play, clearly, and just looking miserable. The Packers giving Rodgers very few wide receivers. Russell Wilson being suddenly old and bad. Uh, Indianapolis with Matt Ryan, less suddenly old and bad, uh, but still nonetheless, or Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett not being ready and their other option being Mitch Trubisky, who they panicked and benched probably too early in the season. Which one of these teams should have seen it coming? I think the criminal version of this in that they deserve to be going to jail because of this should have been seen coming for a long time because he's been speaking out about it Aaron Rodgers and his lack of receivers he's been saying this for years and everybody's like ah Aaron Rodgers just whiny he's just being a baby no he's been speaking truth and we've been seeing it this year and he said it in the press conference maybe this was good for us uh on Sunday that he has a lack of receivers and Devonte Adams covered up for it so much the past couple of years, drawing so much attention to him that it opened up lanes for his other receivers. And now you're seeing what that looks like without Devonte Adams in that offense. Aaron Rodgers is being asked to do too much. And the front office in green Bay 
deserve all of the blame that they are getting right now because he's been saying it outsiders have been saying it that they need receivers and they should have been drafting receivers higher instead of drafting Jordan Love in the first round who may or may not pan out looks like he's not going to because they've already wasted his rookie quarterback contract so I think the the Green Bay front office deserves a lot of blame and they are they should be the worst among this I think very close behind them is what Pittsburgh did with their quarterback situation Everybody could see that Ben Roethlisberger, and everybody knew because of the age, was coming to an end of his career. There should have been more preparation for what comes next. Instead, of instead they just panicked, brought in Mitchell Trubisky in the offseason, and then drafted Kenny Pickett. Uh, looks like higher than he should have been considering the rest of the quarterback class and how that panned out this offseason or in this draft. So that one, Pittsburgh's very closely behind Green Bay in how this should play out is that they had so much time to prepare and so much time to get in another quarterback and prepare him under Ben Roethlisberger to take over when Roethlisberger did retire because everybody saw the age and saw the lack of production that you were getting from Roethlisberger over the past couple of years. That should have been something that they prepared for a long time ago. Next up, anytime a player retires, just let him be, especially in football. It's so it's too physical. It's too demanding. You're either all the way in year in year round or you're out. And Tom Brady should have just let be. He should not have been allowed to come back. They should have just been like, all right, you moved on. We're moving on because it's showing that it's just not working out for a guy. And we saw this uh, in 2010 with Brett Favre. He was brought back, didn't want to be brought back. And he was just peer pressured into it by a couple player, couple Vikings players flying down to Hattiesburg and bringing him back on a plane. And it just showed that it didn't seem like his heart was in it. And it doesn't seem like Tom Brady's heart was in it, is in it this year. He seems a bit distracted, obviously, from the off-field stuff. And it just doesn't seem like it's working right now. And that's probably part of the reason why they got smoked by Carolina this this last weekend. Matt Ryan being shot was foreseeable, but also forgivable. Because you could you could kind of shift some of that blame to the lack of weapons that he had over the past couple of years. And you maybe thought... Let's bring him into Indianapolis. He's got a better offensive line, got better weapons here in Indy, and let's see what he can do. And, well, he looks like a 37-year-old quarterback at this point. And obviously getting benched for Sam Ellinger is not a good thing to have at the end of your career. You know, I think that the the one that was not foreseeable at all was Russell Wilson. Yeah. Um, that I would have never predicted he would look like this. I do know that anytime a quarterback gets to 34, 35 years old, you never know when it's coming that fall off and he's got a shoulder injury. He's got a hamstring injury that goes along with getting old. And the same thing with Matt Ryan. Well, he's got this shoulder problem. Like, yeah. Cause he's old. Like that's what happens. <laughs> These guys get banged up. Matt Ryan, I think was somewhat foreseeable. Like if we were doing it on a one to 10 scale, Wilson is like a two. I I don't think Mm -hmm. you could have ever foreseen it being this bad. I think you could have said, I don't know that they're going to be a playoff team in that division because they're maybe not as strong as uh, they were getting credit for in the off season. But Wilson, I would have expected to be good with Matt Ryan. I thought he was shot in Atlanta. I don't know why they didn't think that. I, I mean, it just, the velocity was completely gone off of his fastball and throughout training camp, people wrote these stories like, Oh, and in Indy their writers and the national writers would come in and interview Matt Ryan and the hype machine was going. And I had seen Matt Ryan play twice in person against the Minnesota Vikings. And both times I thought there is nothing left on this ball. And, and one of the times he won, but there was still, if every pass was floating, it's just, I, when that's happening, 
that pretty much means that the guy really can't play anymore. I don't think I expected it to be this bad, but I did not expect it to be good. It's not like with Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers who never had great arms. They really just relied on anticipation their entire career. Matt Ryan had a rocket at one time, and once that was gone, it was just gone. It was like a, a pitcher who throws 100, and once they throw 94, people can hit them, and, and that's kind of the way that it feels. Rogers, I thought you laid that out correctly. He's been saying it. Everyone's been saying it. And uh, they did the mess around and find out. They messed <laughs> around and found out that you can't just have Randall Cobb and a second round rookie from North Dakota. Like it just doesn't, as that wasn't going to be enough. Sammy Watkins, who's always heard it wasn't going to be enough. Um, and Rogers eventually was going to start to dip in his play a little bit and you needed to prop him up. Brady is a hard one for me because when a guy defies just logic and physics and whatever else for his entire career aging, whether that's assisted by anything or not like surgery on his face. Uh, I don't know, but he's done it so many times. You, you never would have dreamed a 45 year old would compete for an MVP. So I think there, there was a case of like, it's just Brady. Like, I don't know, man. I remember our friend Sage Rosenfels saying one time, like, I'll bet against Brady to go to the Super Bowl when he's retired. Like you just <laughs> always think he's going to overcome it. And sort of the same thing for Rogers, but even more for Brady, that one, I might give like a five or a six. It was dubious, but you just thought, eh, well, you know, you could probably do it. The Kenny Pickett one. We need to stop saying forever that quarterbacks are pro ready. No one is yeah. pro ready. No quarterback who comes out. There have been some quarterbacks in NFL history who have had good rookie seasons. Mac Jones, one of them. But we look at a player's skill set, and if the guy's not an athletic freak, we just say he's pro ready. Uh, that's no going from Pitt to the Steelers. You're not ready for that. And even quarterbacks who've been drafted number one overall that turn out to be good have had tough first seasons. So if they thought that it was just silly to bench Mitch Trubisky, mm -hmm. like why are you benching him for someone who definitely needs a year of adjustment time in Kenny Pickett? Maybe part of it's that Kenny Pickett is 24 years old. So they thought, well, you're older, so you should be able to step right in. It is a whole different ball game. And when you are the 20 something if pick, you're probably not a complete freak who's at the top of the draft and, and you're going to need time to develop. I think Kenny Pickett sh has shown things every game where you'd say, yeah, I think this guy might be able to play, but every game, it also shows his extreme inexperience. I mean, now they should just keep playing him because whatever, but they put him in a situation where he had a really, really difficult chance to win. And I, I think that was very much foreseeable. Uh, it kind of feels, like, oh, feels like that they switched to Kenny Pickett because they saw the Bengals struggle early. They saw the Ravens struggle early. They saw the Browns struggle early. Like, oh, this division's still here to grab. Let's try and take it and see if the rookie can and take us. And that obviously did not play out well. I think that that was definitely something that they will regret looking back at this season. Right. And really with Mitch Trubisky, he's always been up and down his whole career. Yeah. They probably win eight or nine games with Mitch Trubisky, though. I mean, even when he had to come off the bench for Pickett, when Pickett got hurt, he played pretty well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that is the classic 500 quarterback where if everything is right, he can win, but he's going to be super inconsistent. They probably should have just rode that wave and hoped to get into the playoffs as opposed to putting it all on the shoulders of someone who is not ready at all in Kenny Pickett. Uh, all right. Final question for you, Jonathan, very simply, who is the coach of the year in the NFL right now? I think for me, 
and there may be some hometown bias here, Kevin O'Connell, just based off of what the Vikings looked like last year, how dismal they looked, especially at the end of the season. That team just looked like it was ready to give up. And all of a sudden, this team looks like they're playing for each other. They're getting big-time plays at very key moments. Sure, their defense has given up a lot of yards and uh, at some point will come back down to earth and probably give up too many yards and too many points. But right now, the way they've played over the first six weeks of the season, you think this team, if they can win the division, which they would have to give it away at this point because the Packers and Bears are just not playing well enough to take it from them. Uh, if they can win the division and maybe win a playoff game, he's got that in the bag. The closest competition for him is Brian Dable, but he, I think Kevin O'Connell gets the win because he'll have won the division. I get Brian Dable's in a very tough division with the Eagles and Cowboys above him, but I think the division will give Kevin O'Connell the division win will give Kevin O'Connell the very narrow edge in that competition between those two guys. So I think there's a chance at that. Uh, they probably have to win 12 or 13 games for that mm -hmm. to happen, which is possible when you look at the hex that they've put on all of their upcoming <laughs> yes. opponents. It's unbelievable. Washington's playing a backup quarterback. Indianapolis just benched theirs. New England doesn't know who their quarterback is or what to do. Uh, the New York Jets lost Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall in the same week for the entire season. There is an opportunity there, and I think that Kevin O'Connell has a great chance at it if they can win 12 or 13. As of this moment, I think that Kevin O'Connell's coaching job has only been okay based on the fact that they have a middling offense. Like If they had a top-five offense, I would say, wow, he did something completely different and deserves to be looked at differently. But I looked at the numbers through the first six games of this year and last year. They were remarkably similar outside of some lucky things like – the penalty differential, the turnover differential. So I don't think that they've been much different from what they were last year. They're sort of playing, and if you look at their expected win-loss, they're playing like a 500 football team right. that has five wins yeah. and one loss. So things have kind of gone their way. For me, though, I don't, I don't like to think too hard about this. I mean, one, of course, is Robert Sala, who deserves a lot of credit mm -hmm. for being 5-2, and two, defensive coach, hasn't had great offense, but let's not look too much at the forest through the trees here. The Buffalo Bills are five and one. They are dominating and they have the best offense and the best defense. Their coach is phenomenal. He had to change offensive coordinators this year. They went to Ken Dorsey that nothing has changed. Their defense, which is run by Sean McDermott, is outstanding. I don't know that anybody's done a better job than him. However, Andy Reid in Kansas City, again, it's okay to go obvious with coach of the year. Andy Reid in Kansas City, there was the sentiment that they might drop off because they lost Tyreek Hill. They had to take some yeah. steps back with the salary cap, and they are still playing tremendous football. You can give the slight edge to Buffalo, but I, I think that roster is not as good, and yet they've made the adjustments on offense to get Mahomes back to where he was two years ago. And then Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia, 6-0, and off to a tremendous start getting Jalen Hurts to the next level. I mean, just like there are some some of these awards that we always kind of go on, like who surprised us? Who didn't yeah. we expect? It's okay to pick the guy who's just <laughs> got the best team. Nick Sirianni is, a, is somebody who, in all seriousness, I had no idea who that man was when they hired him. I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those, like the guy's a coach for a year, doesn't know what he's doing, and then he moves on with his life. And it's been exactly the opposite. He's done a tremendous job in Philadelphia. And uh, those those guys at the top deserve the credit. No hot takes for hot routes for my picks. I think yours was, was definitely hotter. 
Um, but there's some, you know, there's some other potential candidates who could emerge. Your guy, Mike McCarthy, of course. <laughs> I, was I know say, you have no belief in him whatsoever, no, but never. Uh, if they were to win the division, um, you know, then it would be two years in a row of having really good seasons under McCarthy. So anyway, uh, the NFL continues to baffle and fascinate us. And we will be here every week on hot routes to break it all down. Jonathan Harrison, Matthew Collar. So make sure you subscribe. And if you are a Vikings fan listening and you have not listened to purple insider, I don't know how you ended up here, but uh, go check out the Purple Insider podcast every single day talking Vikings, and we will catch you all later.